good evening. It is Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. Happy Cinco de Mayo. I'm James Bryerson. Welcome to this live open mic night here on the Carolina Weather Group. We've got a very full panel for you tonight. There is our group, uh, including guest Brad Panovich of WCNC Charlotte, uh, recently voted number one Twitter feed in Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken. I made a promise that I'd get that in. Right off the top, there it is. We want to invite all of you at home, on your phone, on your couch, on the toilet, wherever it is you might be watching, uh, to comment right now live with us so we can put your comments on the screen because this is as much of your conversation as it is ours. And uh, we have some really fun tools here tonight that we're using where uh, we're going to be able to put some of your comments on the screen if you comment live. So you got to comment live so we can put them on the screen. If you're listening and it's not May 5th, then obviously this is a replay, but we're still happy you're here nonetheless on our podcast feed, on the Carolina WeatherNet, and uh, all of those all those platforms. So uh, let's get right on into this, and uh, let's talk about the week that we had with uh, three straight days of being in some sort of SPC outlook. I think we cut a break today, but... Brad, let me start with you, because uh, you were on the air covering these for WCNC. Uh, it was about 1240 on Monday when we were in a Zoom meeting talking about that day's uh, evening news and everyone just went running because <laughs> of the tornado warning. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy morning. We actually, um, I, even early in the morning, I, I'm one of those people, uh, you know, as, a, as a weather geek, I got up in the, like, the middle of the night and uh, I check my phone, not see what time it is, but to check radar scope real quickly, see what's going on out there. And I even noticed early, like two, three, four in the morning, we had some cells that were trying to move north ahead of the warm front. And some of them had some mid-level rotation. So right away I knew, uh-oh, you know, this is going to be a long day. And I, I had seen the, the SBC outlook um, already start to see um, us upgraded to a slight risk for most of the Western Carolinas. And so I knew it was going to be a long day, but it looked like there was going to be a lull um, in the morning to about midday. And then we're going to see some afternoon storms develop. And so uh, right around lunchtime, I was getting ready to come in early. And as I'm getting ready, that line was coming in from the West and I uh, was looking at the radar and we had a storm that was rapidly developing in supercell characteristics. And pretty much spun up um, a tornado real quickly. And I say a tornado real quickly because at the time, there was an indication of what we call a TDS, which is a tornado debris signature. The uh, correlation coefficient, which is a product of the radar, actually briefly looked like it showed lofted debris on the radar, which is the radar actually hitting stuff that's being lofted from the ground, either leaves, trees, two by four shingles, what have you. Um, and then that storm continued to track northeast, producing tornado warnings in Gaston County, Mecklenburg County. Um, kind of, you know, there was no warnings for Stanley County, but we did have a tornado touchdown there. And then more warnings over towards Moore County and then into the Sandhills. But what was interesting was um, the first reports of damage we got were out of Stanley County um, where there was no warning. And so started investigating that a little bit as the afternoon wore on. And it looked like it looked like tornado damage. I could just tell looking at some of the pictures. So that was kind of interesting. But we did not hear a word of any other damage in Gaston, Mecklenburg, York. Um, even the Weather Service put, didn't put out any LSRs or anything until about 9.51 p.m. at night. I'm sitting here getting ready for the 11 o'clock news. And I get this private message from a viewer. And it's a full-fledged still of a tornado with lofted debris and immediately I'm like 
trying to type as fast and jump out of my seat. I'm like, where was this? And I'm thinking right away, okay, is this some fake picture someone sent me? The next thing I get from this person, Robbie, his name, sends me a picture of his uh, farm basically destroyed. So you're looking at some of the footage. This is his turkey farm. And I said, where is this? And he says, I'm west of Clover in York County. So I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. I'm like, that's exactly where that tornado warning was earlier in the day. Um, So I pull up the radar data and sure enough, that debris signature, I went back and looked at the archive data right where his farm is. In fact, he didn't even give me the address. I found his his, uh, farm on Google Maps and then he sends me the address and confirmed exactly the farm I was looking at. And I was just stunned. So I, you know, private messaged the weather service and they and i started tweeting it and they were like what time was this where'd you get that picture and they were all blown away because they had called the york county emergency manager and they told them there was no damage in the county anywhere um so i told robbie i said hey this looks pretty bad i'm gonna try to come out there tomorrow and check it out so i got up early the next day drove out there brought the drone you saw the footage i was just blown away and right away i could see these two turkey barns um he had twenty four thousand turkeys in these two barns And immediately he tells me, I'm like, well, what's up with the turkeys? He's like, well, some of them died, but we don't know where the other ones are. So he thought he lost 4,000, but that number's down to about 1,200 because they still found some that were underneath the rubble that they're going to wait and collect. They're mostly small turkeys, not big ones. They raise them from an early age. Um, But he said part of the barn, they didn't even know where it was. Um, it was it was pretty extensive damage. So I, I guesstimated that day just based on what I know. I thought it'd be EF1 because this barn actually had uh, had posts that were cemented into the ground and actually had some mobile home anchors that were used to anchor it down into the ground. So I said, right, I told him, I said, this is probably going to be EF1 damage, but um, I, I'd wait and see what the weather service came out. And then they Here's came out. Pictures. Today. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so they surveyed it today and, you know, found it was EF1 with uh, 110 mile an hour winds. So it was, it's one of those things in this day and age, you don't think a tornado goes unnoticed. But um, like I, like I wrote in my story about this uh, for our website, WCNC.com, they had their friends and family helping them out. They didn't reach out to any emergency services, didn't call anybody. That's just the way they kind of roll out in, uh, you know, rural York County. And so no one knew about it until he was nice enough to send me a picture. And that kind of got the ball rolling with everybody kind of figuring out. And then then the TV crews are out there today and everybody else. So um, I used to joke, you know, we take for granted that very few tornadoes go undetected. Um, They may go unwarned for, but eventually you hear about them or you see the damage. Um, You know, I'd say 20, 30 years ago, rural, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma, there might be a farm hit by a tornado. And the only person that knew about it was the farmer himself. And this kind of reminded me of that. But in this day and age, if it wasn't for social media and a private message, I don't know if anybody would have known about this. Um, And it was pretty extensive. I mean, that that barn right there you're looking at. That was a well-built barn. Um, some of these other barns were, you know, a little less well-built, but that was, you know, that had uh, electrical and plumbing because they had uh, feeders and water to all the, the turkeys. So, um, it was legit. I mean, and I'll tell you the thing that was kind of weird. I, I was walking around in the grass. And I'm like, I thought all this white stuff all over the place was was insulation. And then I looked down, close, I realized there were feathers. There's feathers everywhere. I mean, just from the turkeys. It was nuts. Well, the silver lining good news, as you mentioned, is that some of these turkeys yeah. who they originally thought perished did survive. Chris <laughs> Mulcahy, he went out there today and saw some of them emerging from the rubble. And uh, I think the drone footage you captured as well, too, speaks just to the, the local. Oh, speaking of Chris Mulcahy. There Chris. Hi, Chris. You're live. We were just talking about your tweet with the, the turkeys. 
Can you hear us? Apparently not yet. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted, uh, I was, I'm glad Chris chimed in. He got in here because I thought what he said was interesting in his report today. Yet the reason that they didn't know how many turkeys were lost is because they're kind of letting them kind of regather underneath the debris. And um, once they get back under there, they kind of regroup and then they'll scoop out the ones that are alive and kind of save them. So I thought that was interesting. That's why you saw the number go from 4,000 to 1,200 because they're starting to find some of the chicks that were buried under the rumble. Yeah, and even the time that I was there, it was pretty crazy that you just saw more and more. And I thought it was really interesting from the owner. He says that we're waiting for them to get into groups and then we'll gather them up. That at one point for our live shot, I saw one or two. And the next thing you know, it was up to about 12. So that 1,200 number could even come down as they just said a majority of them live. So that, that at least is a nice silver lining there. Yeah, it's amazing because they said when they first went out there, it was crazy. Like they found groups of the turkeys just sitting there where the barn used to be. Like the building was lifted away and some of the turkeys were just still sitting there. The crazy things, Chris, I know you saw some of that, the sheet metal that was just everywhere, wrapped up into trees. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it was blown so far. In fact, there was a Duke power station, I think about a mile away where a piece of this tin had blown into the power lines and knocked out power to some of the area. Um, but they got really lucky because on the other side of the hill where the tornado lifted was actually a mobile home de- uh, development, and it could have went right through there and caused some significant damage. They also had a lot of propane tanks around there, so they could have been dealing with some fires. So it, it's not a good scenario whatsoever. But, yeah, and uh, we also mentioned this during our report too, Brad. Those type of buildings, when a tornado gets a hold of them, it's oh. like a mobile home. The winds just get into it, just picks it up where – foundation isn't as solidified as what we have like on our home so once a tornado moves to those those are just absolutely gone and you you saw that but it was really interesting too because if you're looking along the line of the foundation you could just see where the tornado wrapped it and it almost was spinning to that second building that had um uh 12,000 turkeys for each, but the one that had less damage from what we saw in our video. Yeah, James, I don't know. Do you have the picture of the tornado? Or if I can screen share it, possibly. Yeah, um, either or. Let me see. There should be a button screen. down there. It's Mine's crossed out. Oh, no, there it goes. Okay. Um, let me see if it'll let me share. So here's the picture. I'm going to share it now. So you guys see that? So There it is. That is, um, you're looking from his uncle's house, which is across the street, and you're looking back. So the house that you see in the foreground is actually the house on the farm, and the tornado's behind there. And all of that metal is part of those barns being lofted. So this was the first picture I got. You could imagine when I saw this, I was like, holy cow. Yeah, and Brad, how how, um, high was this debris? I mean, I know radar is only so well in this area, but what was the estimated height of the debris ball signature? So I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I went back and looked at the CC data and I saw it on this, at least this, the CC data at about 10,000 feet, which I was impressed to see it get lofted that high. That's another indication of you know how strong the tornado is. There's a very good correlation to um, CC d- debris height based on, on what the EF scale is. So when I saw that, I was like, holy cow, this is a significant tornado. And it actually ended up correlating. It's a high end EF one, you know, based on um, that damage being lofted to about you know 10,000 feet. What's interesting, and you got the four panel there, is the velocity data wasn't like overwhelming, but the CC data was more telling to me than anything. Is this um, the spot here? Yeah. So probably gonna go back a frame or two. Uh, it's a little bit better if you can go back. Yeah. Um, I got to react it. And, and, and in fact, that those are two separate supercells. That one to the south 
actually prompted the tornado warning for Mecklenburg County. <laughs> so, um, yeah, both of those cells wow. were really interesting. Yeah, not much of a couplet signature there. No. I mean, obviously on the CC, but yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty spectacular damage. And I know Chris saw it firsthand. And, uh, you know, that, that was more than I expected when I went out there. I'm like, wow, the pictures I saw didn't do justice to it. Yeah, even the aerial view, because like when you're really up into it, and Brad, you already said this, just the twisting of the metal. So you saw yeah. the the pure force, and a lot of times they say EF2 is where cars can be lifted and stuff like that. It's stronger EF1s in that range. Anything over 100 miles per hour can lift all that. But uh, I have to go back to the archives, and Brad, maybe you can help me this remembering, but... What I thought was an interesting factoid is I never said this on air is the actual owner. The time that I got to talk to him, he says like, well, we've been this, through this before. I was like, well, what do you mean? He said he thinks 15 years ago that the barn was fine. The barn that was uh, had the rusty roof. that was probably probably let's call it about uh, 50 yards away from where the damage was. Well, a separate tornado 15 years ago went that, that path, but affected their homes and their cars. So now essentially every part of that property over the last 15 years has been impacted by a tornado of some sort. Wow. Yeah. So I, guys, I think I have a better, let me see if I have a better shot of this. This was the screen grab I got guys. So if you look at uh, Southwest of Clover, you see that little lowering of the CC values. Um, that's that little kink in the road right there is actually right where the barn was. That's their farm right there. So you could see, uh, the, the, the couplet doesn't look all that impressive, but that, that CC value. And what was interesting was that, you know, if, if this was a looping image, you could see that that kind of came on for about three scans and then it went away completely. Um, and that's actually when we saw the tornado touch on the timing matched up exactly, um, with all the damage and the reports, um, from from the people on the farm what i thought was interesting too and this is and i love that that robbie was totally honest with me he's like because he my phone went off and i didn't think anything about it and thought nah we're not getting hit by a tornado and like a minute later he sees the barn explode so it was a good lesson it's a good sound bite i'll probably use that forever <laughs> like hey you know i always say you know tornado warnings are like seatbelts. you you gotta you gotta you, you gotta use it even when you don't think it's gonna happen because you use it for the time that you need it um and so it, it really is one of those situations and it spun up. I'll give credit to GSP, too. They warned for that thing probably about five minutes before that CC lowering. Um, yeah, they warned right about 1240. Yeah. Here is right about there. Right yeah, about GSP there, did an yeah. job with that warning. So the, I they did a good job of uh, that, by the way. Yeah, I mean, okay. the thing they did great, and it sometimes you see this, and I think almost that yeah, almost amateur meteorologists go, oh, they wait till they see something on the radar. They're actually looking at the development of the circulation of the mesocyclone and trying to warn ahead of time. And that's hard to do, I mean, because you're taking a little bit of a chance, but they did a really good job of seeing this thing develop. Because even I, I, I like 10, 15 minutes before, that storm didn't look like it was going to do much. So somebody was really on the ball keeping an eye on that cell. I mean, I didn't want to accuse you of speeding to the TV station, but you did get there quickly. Yeah, and I did park right in front of the, <laughs> right in front of the building. That's my, uh, you know, I had to get here in a hurry parking spot right by the front door. <laughs> Actually, Brad, I believe listening to Larry, I could hear you walk into the weather office yeah. as he was talking right. about it. Well, I, no, just to you know, peel back the curtain, what was going on, I knew it was going to happen, so I was getting ready, but literally my phone is going off while I'm shaving 
and I'm, you know, so I'm like, I'm rushing, I'm trying to brush my teeth. And the thing is my bosses all call me. Right. And it's like, the last thing I need to do is answer the phone. I'm trying to get to the station, you know? So I got three calls. Where are you? I'm on my way, but I'm talking to you right now. So I got to get the car. It's like, you know, sometimes I wish they would just let me drive. I'm on my way. You don't need to call. I know what's going on. So, um, yeah, so I got there as soon as I could. And of course there's always traffic when you're trying to get to the station. I only live 15 minutes from the station, but it probably took me just a little bit longer because of, uh, all the traffic <laughs> as one of the few people still working remotely i was in a meeting just like this except for imagine the eas goes off and then all of you guys scatter yeah to go to your different corners <laughs> of the newsroom and i'm just watching now like peering through like 12 different webcams in the newsroom what's happening i'll, I'll just start i'll just start to stream i got yeah. it bye oh, yeah you were on the ball actually it was funny james i was watching the stream i wasn't watching i was listening in the car i, I pulled up the stream and had it on my bluetooth of my speaker so i could hear what larry was talking about and what was going on as i was driving into the station so um, that's a good endorsement for our own product our own chief was listening to it well you know it's the good i mean it's a sad state of affairs none of the local radio stations are simulcasting or even giving you data or information of what's going on so the, your phone ends up being your best source of of what's going on so it was, it was it was amazing but that i mean it goes just go show you we didn't know any of this stuff is going on until about 12 hours later which to me is part of the story of this it's like this thing happens and it wasn't just us none of the tv stations in town nobody else uh you know this was such a rural area that if robbie had not sent me that picture um you know and, and not to toot my own horn but the fact the second i tweeted it out obviously every other station in town knows it and so they start calling and asking questions and that's how the ball starts rolling and people start showing up the next day. So, um, you know, and we're out there today and Chris, you know, did a great job heading out there because the, vi the visuals were amazing. I mean, um, I think being up next to it and actually seeing Chris next to that building really kind of told you how much damage there was. Yeah, but Brad, can we also just talk about how unlucky this was? Because oh. literally the start of the path of damage, so just down the hill from where I was, where you're seeing the leveling of the foundation, nothing there anymore, uh, I would say maybe let's call it 30 yards down, there's a fence, there was another building there, and what was really interesting too is that there's a little hill, the tornado yeah. clearly skipped over that, that's where all the propane tanks were, so it kind of gives that mentality, why do you go into a ditch to a lower place, because it's similar in that fact but it's right at that fence line that dropped down the field came down through those buildings started lifting over a third barn and then you could see visually where parts of the trees where it was lifting up were just severed off and then brad you said you were able to see another part in the woods yeah that dropped down briefly again yeah there was a really it, it was way back there i mean uh, i went back on some four-wheelers we drove all the way back in the woods wow. and i'm thinking where are we at now there's nothing back here we come to this what I thought was a clearing, but it was a big area of the woods that was completely flattened. Um, and all the trees, some weren't flattened. They were all bent towards the uh, convergent line in the middle of the tornado track, which is as soon as I saw that, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's this textbook tornado damage. Cause you had trees bent towards the middle on one side and towards the other. And what's interesting that the video that you're looking at right now, this grass field from another perspective, when I was shooting back from the other way with the drone, there was actually some swirling, in the grass you could actually see some damage in the tall grass there um it was just incredible to see um this thing skip up and, and chris I, I noticed the same thing too the interesting i thought immediately about the the hit the topography out there this tornado was moving up elevation i think i went back and looked at the elevation maps it, it, that little holler back there yeah so below the barn there 
I think it's at about 600 feet and the top of that hill is about 720. So it was moving uphill and I've seen similar research from like Huntsville, Alabama and some of the other foothills where you get um, rotating thunderstorms that move up in elevation sometimes induce uh, tornado genesis because you're effectively shrinking the distance between the cloud base and the ground. Um, you know, sometimes we look for LCL levels or LCLs that are really low. Well, sometimes the ground comes up and makes the LCL lower. And this can happen in these situations like we saw here. And um, I thought that was fascinating that the hill probably played a little bit of a role in enhancing this storm a little bit. So yeah, you can see that, too. Oh, it's like right at that that first barn, too. That was where it was most intense. That's where it had the contact because it got up over the hill. It got its full suction, its full potential. And then it, realistically, it was, I know that the pull path was like 0.47, but I would say it's less than a tenth of a mile that it was really the full absolute contact of the ground where it was uh, the worst. Reminding folks watching live with us, you can comment. We'll put some of your comments on the screen. Shout out to Michael watching on YouTube. I want to hit on a couple of things you guys talked about. Chris talked about how unlucky this was, how short-lived it was, and how impactful it was. We talk yeah. about all the times about how a tornado is like a pin on a map, but if it happens to be right where you are, how bad it can be. Yesterday, was it yesterday? Was National Weather Observe Observation Day? Yeah. A Weather Observer's Day? day? Yeah. Yeah. So, Brad, to your point, this was a text to you that not only brought out the media, but brought out the weather service to do yeah. what they do after these storms to conduct a storm survey after you essentially went storm survey first. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I go out there and I always tell the people when I get out, there, I, I'm one of those people, you know, I, I think people that hey, you work in TV, but I'm still a meteorologist at heart. So a lot of times after these events, I like going out to the location and seeing what happened because it's a it's a great learning experience for us as meteorologists to see what happened on the ground so um sometimes i know <laughs> i don't i'm out there more as a scientist sometimes than as a reporter so people tend to open up and treat you a little differently when you're asking weather geek questions more so than just grilling them on the, the simple reporter type questions. So when I went out there, I really was just more interested. I was looking at the damage, the gouging in the ground. I really was trying to do what the weather service does. I was looking for those damage indicators to try to figure out how long it was on the ground. Um, and, and it was funny. I actually told Robbie, I said, the weather service is going to be the official word on this, but I, I think this is EF1. And the track is probably a half a mile to three quarters mile <laughs> ended up being EF1 and a half mile track. And that's pretty much spot on to what it looked like to me. So I, at least I knew I was looking at the same things that they were. And it gave me a little bit of pride that um, I kind of I kind of learned something from them when I see them do damage surveys. And those uh, those those damage indicators are everything uh, when you're looking for certain traits for what a tornado is actually going to be classified as. Well, it's also a reminder everyone else out there that if you have weather impact you where you are first and then if you don't have brad panovich's cell phone number to text him you can tweet him and that will suffice as well uh and if you're outside the charlotte area uh or, or even if you are you could always send them to the national weather service uh we work cohesively yeah. with our friends at nws well and to me i wanted to make sure they were able to verify that warning because that's a big deal to them to be able to say hey because they issued three warnings and you know, that would have been the only one they verified. So it, it really helps them tremendously um, to go out and verify. That's why they go out there and do it. Um, so then give credit to Raleigh. You know, they came and surveyed all the way out in Stanley County, which is at the far western part of their CWA and got that survey done earlier in the morning. So that was pretty impressive as well.
Now, I don't want to call them out. That one in Stanley County was not worn, yeah. only bringing up because <laughs> of the darn radar yeah. hole. Do you think that would have made a difference? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and as soon as I got those damaged pictures, I went back and looked at the terminal Doppler radar data and I right away said, Oh yeah, that, that's a tornado <laughs> because, um, the velocity couplet there was very impressive and it was in the exact same location. But that's the thing. That's the thing about the terminal Doppler. Everyone thinks that thinks that's a super fix. You got to remember that's looking at a whole different product than they're normally, they're looking at 88 D's primarily and they hatched to switch to a separate radar, you know, to look at that. So if I'm in Raleigh and GSP, I'm primarily looking at my radar and to have to bounce in back and forth between another radar source is just another step in the warning process that kind of slows things down. So I don't, you know, it's, it, it's not, it, 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 you know, the thing is, it's like, I think both weather service offices know it's a problem and we're yeah. just trying to highlight that so we can get a fix. <laughs> and that's the only reason I call them out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it it, it, fault. it's gotta be a problem they, they need better tools. I mean, any, any any good artist or contractor needs good tools to do their job. And so I think they would love to see another radar. And um, that's a whole nother show. But I, that process is, is still rolling, guys. I can tell you it's close. It's close. The funding is almost there. And um, I, so I can feel it. You're already saying you'll come back to update us. Yeah. I, I, and I'll just okay. tell you, we are as close as I think we've ever been to doing this private-public partnership Um and getting radars installed in this big radar hole. Um, and it's, it, and I give a lot of credit to the local COGS, which are the council of governments. They have really aggressively gone after funding on their own grants and separate funding and just said, we're not going to wait for the federal government or the state, <laughs> we're just going to do it on our own. And they are really taking, so what the process we're in right now, just to like give everybody update. Um, there's currently basically, um, uh, basically an environmental studies going on and currently feasibility studies are being conducted for this project, which you have to do to get government money of anywhere. So um, the fact that that's actually being undertaken right now, local universities are starting to work on this. Um, that's the first step is the feasibility studies. And the next step will be, you know, how many radars, which vendor we're going to get um, and going from there. But we've made it a long way. So it's close. <laughs> are the I ask what, what kinds of uh, radar are we talking about? Are we, are we, are we going to go full upgrade to phased array or are we still? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, um, no, we've kind of settled in on C-band um, because you can't actually you can't get S-band anymore because the FCC has kind of locked down that um, frequency. And so we can't do an S-band. We would love to do that. And X-band is kind of a waste. You need like a bazillion of little, they're tiny little ones. And they have all kinds of attenuation problems. So powerful C-band radars that are dual pole, three of them placed in a, basically my goal is, you know, ideal world would be 3 million watt C-bands that are dual pole that would be placed in strategic spots across the Piedmont, which would fill a hole, not just for me in Charlotte, but people in the, in the, in the triangle, um, you know, Greensboro, uh, Winston, and then the foothills. Oh, there you go. Those are, yeah, those are the general spots. So Charlotte, we get overlap, uh, which is great, but it fills a huge void up there in the, the Northwestern part of the state, which is, you know, up in the foothills, uh, which gets very poor coverage up into the Boone area, Wilkesboro, Statesville. Um, so a lot of holes will be filled and even parts of the sand hills, which are in a big gap too, between the Raleigh office and GSP. So um, every time we get a tornado, it just seems more evident, like why we need these radars. Yeah. But um, I hope it doesn't take a major disaster to get this through, but it's, it's, it's rolling along. So that that's the good news. 
Uh, we put a link in the comments to that episode that I just had up on the screen when Brad was on talking about this initiative. If you want to learn more about why it's a problem and where those are going, be because um, yes, we will whole hour on that, and it's excited to hear that that's coming along, guys. I want to talk about Abbeville and Greenwood, but before I shift there, any other questions or comments on this topic for the Charlotte area of, of York County and Stanley County with their tornadoes? Yeah, so real, real quick before we move away from it, Chris, you, you made the note on the, uh, the the family said there had been another tornado. I, I sorted through the SBC archives real quick while y'all were chatting, and I, I couldn't find anything. Uh, not to say that there wasn't some uh, unsurveyed yeah. tornado that went on up there. Clearly, stuff happens there and may not get reported. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, interesting note. Thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. And there's a reason why I didn't say it on air, just because <laughs> I wasn't really going to have the opportunity to go out there. And I didn't want that. There was some sort of like microburst that <laughs> we're calling a tornado. So thank you for doing that. And yeah, that's why we always did fact check. So well done, sir. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's like when I got the picture, I was like, yeah, I'm, it's horrible. I'm totally skeptical. You're like, you think you're getting a fake picture right away. And the next thing the question is, why isn't there video of this? That's a great picture. Why? I need some motion there. Um, but that's a rare case where that that's a still image um, that shows both the funnel and the debris, mm -hmm. which makes it pretty much a no brainer. I don't know how many times I see stills of a dark cloud and I have no idea if it's scud. Uh, you know, is it low cloud? Because it's not moving. You just have no frame of reference. And so anybody watching, one thing, if you're going to send pictures and video, tornadoes and rotating storms, video is way better because we can actually tell if something is rotating. And we're looking for horizontal rotation. Uh, vertical rotation happens in every single thunderstorm. So uh, you get a lot of those up and down movements, which is pretty common. So the horizontal rapid movement is what we're looking for. Um, and that becomes huge, uh, a huge help to us. And I think, James, that's a good point. I, I don't think I can say this enough. Of all the things social media, good and bad, that I've dealt with since I've been on social media, stuff like this makes me so excited for the, the good that social media can do because I get way more great information sent to me than I even post. I think people think we just broadcast stuff out, but the information we get back from the everyday viewer and weather watcher and spotter and just the hobbyist is such a tremendous help to us. And you got to think it's helping other people downstream of the storm that are looking at these pictures and video and going, holy cow, I need to take this storm seriously. Look what it did to my west or to my southwest. You just don't know how valuable that is to communicating severe weather threats because radar is great. But most people like James Spanstead looks like spilled paint on the map. A picture, a video is worth a thousand words and really gets people to act quicker. Well, we just did a storm spotter training here at the Carolina Weather Group with the National Weather Service in Columbia. And so, yeah, if you're a storm spotter, you get the phone number, you can call them, out, call them up, you can text people that you might know. But if you're not sure who to contact and you're on Twitter, if all else fails, they're on the screen right now. Hashtag NCWX, hashtag SCWX. You put a storm report, a weather observation in there. If the weather service doesn't see it directly, one of us will and the other meteorologist and the weather group in the uh, Carolinas. And that will be a place where that can get relayed from the public. You don't need any special credentials to use that hashtag. So um, I'm with Brad in that. I'm always slightly skeptical, but that is a place you could drop something if you wanted to get it out. Well, Evan, it's nice because we're all, we're like peer review it. We all look at it. Everyone gets eyeballs on it and we can all kind of evaluate what it is. But I'm telling you, man, Twitter's becoming 
the way <laughs> that the weather service is getting this information um, because I'm shocked. I'll retweet something and within a couple minutes, I'll get a message from them. Hey, can you get an address for where that was? <laughs> Cause it's like they are monitoring Twitter like crazy. So Twitter is a great tool to get information to the weather service. No, you're absolutely right. Between NWS chat and uh, Twitter, those are the two main forms of communication. Absolutely. Evan, you talked a moment ago about how you gathered some data, and I want to use this segue into talking about the next big tornado that we saw here in the Carolinas. But tell us about this map that you made. Yeah, James. So we had a tornado touchdown near Lounsville. We think that's pronounced South Carolina uh, on Monday, same day as that York County tornado. Uh, and it ended up tracking for close to 30 miles, which is a pretty uh, rare occurrence here in the Carolinas. Only a handful, say a handful, lots of handfuls, um, but uh, less than 50 tornadoes have ever tracked that far uh, in the Carolinas. So this one down near Lounsville uh, is going to rank in the top 2% of the longest tornadoes in Carolina history. You can see it, we've got a circle with some really small dashed white lines there on the map. Um, and the top 1% for South Carolina, I believe it came in yeah, as the 18th longest tornado track in South Carolina. So 18th, it's certainly, uh, you could say it's on the leaderboard if we make it a really big leaderboard. Um, but I believe Brad, and it may have been you who tweeted this, was this the first 30-mile track since, or the longest track since 2011? I, do, I think you're correct. Time. Yeah, I think you are correct. Because, um, I mean, I keep thinking about 2011 all the time. It's like, it seems like we haven't had a significant tornado since the, that outbreak. Because um, it's funny you say that, because I had, like, so many questions when I posted that track people are like is that a long track i was like yeah that is not rare to be on the ground that long and if i'm not mistaken and evan i saw on your map is isn't today the anniversary of that cleveland county ef4 oh um, is it yeah Sorry, i, I want to say that was that 1989 because i i want the thing that yeah. it just rings a bell to me because um 1989 was Hugo, and I think that was also EF4 year. So people always try to equate those two, but they yeah, weren't. We had, we had three EF4s, um, two actually here in the foothills, yeah. one in Cleveland, Lincoln, and Catawba, uh, the other one from uh, Greenville and Spartanburg up into Relaford County. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been going around here in, in the foothills on the Facebook and Twitter today, yeah. the, the anniversary of uh, 32 years ago of, yeah. uh, I believe, the F4 is the strongest tornado that's occurred in North Carolina. And so that was the, uh, the anniversary today with three of them uh, here in the Carolinas. So, yeah, it's uh, looking back at that event. Like you said, Brad was also associated with Hugo uh, yeah. later on in the year. So uh, <laughs> 1989 was a very big deal for the weather community in the Carolinas. Yeah. Well, all right. So we, go, go ahead, guys. No, I was just going to say, we've already used the, the mapping budget for the day, so that one will have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> on, on that. That's right. Um, <laughs> well, what, what I wanted to comment, and we are live tonight, it's open mic night, Bob Chambers watching on Facebook, uh, confirming that, Evan, you did say it correctly. Now, Bob is Thank also you, Bob. one of the folks that let us know we made a boo-boo yesterday. I made a boo-boo yesterday in posting on YouTube about this storm, and I'd like to try to redeem myself now uh, to, for Bob and the others who pointed it out. So this is that uh, Abbeville and Greenwood County tornado again. Tonight, we're looking from the Greenville Spark radar as opposed to the columbia radar and what i want to point out is that and looking the top right now 
at a velocity. We've got two areas of circulation, kind of a, a northern and a southern one. Last night, I incorrectly circled the southern one when talking about this 30-mile uh, long EF2 tornado. It should be this guy right up, up here that is the EF2 tornado. So my apologies in yesterday's error, but if I can... Uh, make even the slightest excuse uh we had so many polygons going on with this section of the carolinas as you guys might remember uh they were uh tracking the tornado warnings that eventually gave way to the severe thunderstorm warnings because of the uh threat from these storms and evan you were on the air on our streams covering this do you remember what it was like when they confirmed when the weather service confirmed that there was a tornado on the ground pds damaging i mean that's that's no joke yeah that was really surprising i was not expecting a pds warning to come out of that i don't believe we even saw a uh, a debris signature on the radar a tds until after Lounsville, which makes sense that is where the tornado started but i i really want to say that pds warning came a whole lot sooner than i was expecting before i even saw that debris signature on radar uh, so that was surprising. We also had that second storm, the one that you <laughs> incorrectly circled, James, uh, just over the border near Carlton. Um, that might have been the name of it in Georgia. That thing was a beast as it was wrapping up. Uh, it looked very concerning. It did it. The state it line is right on in here. This is the state line, if I'm not mistaken, right? So, yeah, these things are coming out of Georgia. And right on in here is that debris signature you were just talking about. And mm -hmm. then you can see those two continuing to track east. Uh, 30 yeah. miles, still incredible. Yeah, it had a very small, very tight couplet. Uh, a, a broad area for concern there as it passed through Lounsville, but it, it quickly wrapped up and became pretty apparent where that tornado was um, and that it was it was on the ground for quite a while. As the National Weather Service now we should mention there was one injury associated with this, an individual who was on his porch and was sucked off his porch. We don't know the extent of that person's injury based on the storm report. Uh, I have I have two thoughts to come to mind. Uh, I'm relieved one is too many injuries, but I'm relieved the number wasn't higher for an EF2 tornado with winds of 125 miles an hour at its peak on the ground for 30 miles. Uh, and also uh, the fact that... Uh, <laughs> uh this is so rare this is so incredible um that you know yes we have the tornado but also wind wind is wind right as we we often say so often on this show and so there are other threats associated with this not to make light of the tornado but in the bottom left look at i can't imagine as we're all talking about the tornado just to the south the hail that was being dropped in this other mm -hmm. storm so not only were for these uh the tornado but i'm going to go ahead and say it was hail wrapped at times if you were trying to look at it from miles and miles away right it's it's always the go storm chasing real well in the carolinas because it's not oklahoma you just don't have that visibility also maybe don't be outside on your porch when a tornado is coming because it's not the safe place to be well and, and also like i know that it's like, oh, okay, like how long that it was on the ground. But Brad, you know this, most of our tornadoes that in uh, this year and just in general are usually on the ground for one, two, three minutes because this is spin up central. So wherever we're talking about the long tracks and 
great digging up the facts. Um, we're just happy that this wasn't through our area and also where it was because if this was a little bit more populated, this would be a story that'd be happening for days. So it's it's all, all about the population, sadly. And really, I, I think about this all the time. How many tornadoes that happened that we don't know about, uh, especially of the spin-up variety, just because of where they are? Yeah, I we thought what also was unique ahead. about those storms, guys, was that we had a, like a special um, mesoscale discussion for those two supercells at one point because the storm prediction center was like they knew those were probably going to be long track supercells, and um, who know who knew those things could attract all the way to Columbia eventually, and they had a little bit of a hint of a right mover to them because they were kind of churning a little bit into the into the flow which was coming from the south the tornadoes that are up by us were all moving northeast these tend to be moving more easterly so they had a little bit of a right turn to them which for the layman you don't know when it's turning to the right it's turning into that inflow which increases the low level helicity and really spins those things up quickly i'm trying to get to bob's question about damage in elberton on the georgia side and let me take a quick look at that and I'm trying to remember right now who would have even had jurisdiction, whether that would there be was Columbia. a tornado reported there. Yeah. Uh, near Elberton. Um, I'm going to go ahead and screenshot 1400 block of Bowman of Highway down trees and uh, damage to metal buildings was reported to the weather service there. That was right before two o'clock in the afternoon. Let me add Peachtree City to my shortcut because I don't normally have Peachtree City in here. Um, but I know they're going to have jurisdiction of some of this over towards Athens, Georgia. I don't remember how far they get to. Yeah. Where is I thought that Elbert County was a GSP county, but I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly where this boundary yeah, is either. It, that really threw me off could, a little bit yesterday. It goes, it goes one county Peach, into Peach Georgia. Peachtree City or GSP or, or Columbia, and I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Yeah, so here are some of the storm reports. Here's some of that hail we talked about, 1.75 inches. Let's see what this one is. That's one inch size hail. This one closer to the border, 1.5 ping pong size. Uh, um, yeah, so we've got, can, here's that injury. James, I'll show you the damage surveys here. Sure. I think I can bring them up. So there's the, there's the surveys between, I mean, it's going to bounce around here, but you can see that the, the different surveys done by, um, and again, I'm, I'm going to change the date here so that it's up to date here. We'll change this to the second. You still got to use Windows uh, Explorer for this thing? <laughs> it seems like, there we go. So can you guys see that now? Yeah. So you can see the, um, there was a tornado in Madison County, Georgia, and then a tornado in Elbert, and then it looks like another tornado, then one near Athens, it looks like. Um, so, and then there was that tornado west of Atlanta, which actually happened earlier in the day as well. That was so kind that of was all, when we are, when we are now casting, that was kind of the first indication that this thing was really coming together. Yeah. So that's based on the surveys and those red lines are the CWA cutoffs. So you can see Peachtree city to the left GSP and then Columbia there. So yeah, this is the damage assessment tool. And this is a really cool product because out in the field, the, the weather service will actually have a tablet or a phone. And they have an app and they will enter the damage survey and it gets relayed automatically into this product and starts displaying them. Um, and so back, back in the office, they'll start lining things up with the radar as well to get the timing. So it's kind of cool to watch this. When I see a survey, I can actually individual plots plot in real time as the survey crew is out there. It's a really neat product. 
Now, we are, again, live tonight on this uh, May the 5th for Open Mic Night here on the Carolina Weather Group. We've got another question that came in a little bit earlier. Uh, hopefully, Michael is still with us. Uh, Shay, you want to take this one? And I think he's talking – is he talking about tonight now? Nope. I think he's talking about in general, let's see – Trying to see where that question went. Upper air pattern right now is crazy. Where it was all this back in January, February, we might have actually had some decent snow in the Piedmont. I'm assuming uh, Piedmont, North Carolina. Um, yeah, upper air pattern has been a little bit strange for eastern United States and uh, central northern Europe as well. So uh, when we talk about upper air patterns, with the polar jet in general, uh, where we see the winter trying to hang on through spring, right? So we're talking about January, February. And uh, back then, you know, we look at a lot of things in the wintertime. We look at the polar jet, we look at the polar vortex, we look at polar circulation. Um, so if we take a look, just share screen here, just to give you an idea of what, you know, what it kind of looks like here is uh, it, here's your polar jet, right? And so all of the circulations and polar vortex that, that are part of low pressures over the, the Arctic are pulled down into different areas of the world. Uh, this really depends on the flow of it. And a lot of it has to do with a, an index called the Arctic Oscillation. And so when we're in a negative oscillation, that means we, we tend to see polar vortex displacement. We get um, all kinds of waves that dive down. We have the dipping jet stream, which you hear about in the wintertime, which brings cool air down. We didn't see a lot of that in the southeast where it would stick. We would get um, grazed by it, uh, where we, would, we, would, we never really got any any the negative oscillation which would pull it down and hold it over the area to instill those that that storm setup for the winter storms uh and this this occurred in europe as well so if we look at um see if i can find this blow it up a little bit i can figure that out here we go so uh th this is the ao observed and, and we see in january this was largely negative but not not far negative it was it was pretty mild it really dipped down about the middle of February and then really jumped back up. So this is a really jumpy pattern for the AO going up to positive, back down to negative, back up to positive, down to, to neutral, and so on and so forth. So really jumpy uh, situation. This, this is not pretty much um, symptomatic of where you see subtropical jet stream starting to, to lift north and affect these areas with warmer weather, making the AO more positive. But as far as January, February is concerned, we did see negative AO. Uh, not anything extreme, but we just didn't get that pattern in the, over the eastern United States. I know that central northern Europe saw a little bit more of that than us, where we uh, we got more of that, the polar vortex displacement over on that side of the world versus ours. Now, you have the Siberian connection as well. Uh, so the northern tier of the United States, northern northeastern United States saw a lot of activity. But if anybody else on the, on the panel would like to chime in as well, maybe Brad or anyone else that's uh, pretty familiar with uh, these patterns, especially for that area of the Piedmont, North Carolina, that'd be great. Yeah, I think the whole northern hemisphere has had a chaotic pattern because you mentioned this, Shay. Uh, in Europe, they had a crazy cold April. They had snow and frost, and I think they're still going through what has just been like another month of winter there. So typically when we see extreme weather in other part of the hemisphere, there's a dip there. There's going to be a ridge somewhere else. And I think that's what's caused the pattern to be a little more chaotic here. Overall, this spring, though, is kind of been interesting. It's been very not La Nina-like. <laughs> I would have mm -hmm. expected even more severe weather in April 
into early May, and I would have expected it to be warmer. Um, and really, it's been, I wouldn't say it's been cold, but it's been kind of coolish to near normal, which is saying something because the last several springs around here have been anything but cool. They've been really warm and um, kind of wet. So it's been a very interesting spring, to say the least. But I would have expected more severe weather, honestly, guys. I know it seems like we've had a lot. But I think we had a record low number of tornadoes in the month of April across the U.S. in general. So um, it's just been other types of synoptic weather. It's been more synoptic craziness with cold snaps and um, a lot of late freezes, especially here in the Carolinas, and not a whole lot of severe weather so far. Right. Do you think um, do you think La Nina had a lot to do with not having as much wintry precip or winter storms in January, February than uh, what we would normally encounter? I do. You know, the La Nina winter, the warm part of the La Nina pattern kind of shaped up perfectly. The the lack of rain did not. We had a very wet winter, but it was warm. It was warm and wet. So um, I do think that had a huge, huge play. I I hate La Nina winters. As a winter weather lover, I like the worst winter because you don't get snow and then you get all this severe weather late in the winter and early spring, which is like, you know, we tend to get big tornado outbreaks in late February, March and La Nina winters. Um, is what you don't want to see. So I think it did have a big impact, but it'll be interesting to see this impact on the summer. Um, I've seen a lot of people do summer forecast already. And I kind of, kind of laugh because it's like summer's either hot or really hot. It, to me, there's like, there's not a whole lot of in between to me, the biggest summer forecast I want to know is how dry or wet it's going to be because, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm worried because it's been dry across the Carolinas in April and here in May, and usually dry springs do not bode well for <laughs> for summer. That usually means hot, dry summers on the are in the offing. And yeah, these right, dew points that we saw recently are some of the lowest that I've seen this time of year. It was absolutely incredible just seeing some of those record breaking lows end the year. Like, I, how low did our dew points get, Brad? I think I saw them down in the lower twenties, even close uh, close to or yeah. somewhere in the twenty ranges. Yeah, so. Yeah, that that freeze we had, I think, was it the 26th of April? That's Mm -hmm. the third coldest uh, temperature, or or I say third latest freeze on record in Charlotte. Um, That's pretty late in the year. And to consider the growing season started like in early March, uh, we had a lot of uh, plant issues. And um, thank goodness the peach crop wasn't heavily devastated. But these late freezes are becoming a big problem around here in the Carolinas because the growing season starting earlier, but we're still getting the late freeze. Chris, yeah, as we start to wind, oh, go ahead, Scott Shay. I was just going to say, I, I certainly hope, Brad, that uh, we don't have uh, a super dry. We've seen a little bit of a dry spring here so far, and we're hoping to, to sort of steer away from that. This this unsettled weather the last couple of days has been helping us down, at least in the in the lowlands of, uh, of the low country, of South Carolina. But uh, one thing we, we start to look for, and at the end of May and into June, is heat waves. So yeah. we get triple ridges, right? So if you have high pressure that sets up over the Northeast Gulf right over the Appalachians and out over the Atlantic, that's trouble. So we we're hoping that um, the subtropical jet will, will, you know, it will, it will live far enough North to keep the moisture pattern coming from the Gulf up over uh, towards the mid Atlantic. Yeah. I and hate this past Monday tomorrow. was the first time I think that it actually felt like it was going to storm to start off the day. I think we all can agree that it's been so dry. You walked out saying, I was like, yep, here we go, guys. <laughs> yeah. My lawn's green. I got to keep it that way. <laughs> Not the case over here. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's really tall and weedy. Uh, Chris, before we go, uh, you talked to Stuart Wood on the show last year to talk about weather decision support at the PGA Tour. They're at Quail Hollow Mm -hmm. this week here in Charlotte for the Fargo Championship. What did Stuart tell you? 
Well, it, first off, we did this interview on Friday, and he was already saying, I was like, well, the beginning of next week's going to be interesting. So Stuart nailed it first off. But uh, uh, one, I, I think that he has one of the coolest meteorology jobs in the world because he travels the world. For one, it was really interesting to see about um, just starting off in California. And then you, next thing you know, he's talking about his time in uh, Japan, um, in uh, Great Britain. So... I thought that was fantastic. And I was like, why didn't I choose that meteorology job? But no, I, I thought it was really interesting just because he really was harping on uh, the use of technology, how it has grown his job over the last 20 years for what he can actually bring out with him with lightning detection, especially. So having that at his fingertips, I think has been really helpful being able to get people off the course a whole lot sooner but um yeah it, it's very very interesting hopefully you can try to get that story tomorrow that we'll have it on wcnc we've been trying to push it all week but um his interview i thought was fascinating he really was talking about the change in the industry as all of us have seen that has helped out his job and uh he does a fantastic job uh, out there and if you're ever wondering how the call is made as soon as he sees the weather he does have a direct supervisor two of them kind of look at the radar that's on his system and they're going to make the calls. And obviously they had to do that on Monday. Yeah. He put out this tweet at about the same time we were talking a little earlier <clears throat> about uh, this was Monday time frame. Let me put this up on the screen. Lots of clicking here it comes. Right. So this is, this is him tweeting, but giving us a snapshot uh, this had to be what 11 a.m. on Monday, uh, right mm -hmm. before it rolled into to York County, maybe 11:30 or so. And so this is what he's doing uh, all this week here in in Charlotte and following them around across the the nation and uh, I guess the world, right? Because I think he talks yeah. about having to ship their stuff all over the world. And Stuart, by the way, is from North Carolina, so he says that it is good to be home and was super excited about this trip. He always looks forward to coming back to Charlotte for the Wells Fargo. We uh, have put in our comments, our shameless plug back to our interview with Stuart Williams mm -hmm. um, this time last year. So you can find that in the comments right now if you're watching on the, the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, Brad, Chris, thank you for joining our open mic night. You guys are welcome to stick around. I want to be appreciative of your time as well, too, because I know some of the other guys here uh, probably have some thoughts they want to get in before we wrap. We got some products we want to shamelessly promote and uh, let people know coming down the pipeline. And um Scotty, were you going to say something? You looked like you were going to speak yeah, up. I was, I was just going to say it's about time we get Chris on the show. I know we've been trying for a long time. So, <laughs> yeah. Chris, I'm glad you're on. And see, we don't bite. So we'd love to have you back yeah. some other time. No, I'll come again. I was actually telling my wife, and I was just like, man, I feel like either I'll forget or something happens. But now today we are in the Carolina Weather Group. Good to be a part of the team, guys. I told them right before the show, I said, Chris texted me, and he says he's running a few minutes late. Uh -huh. I think that means he's actually coming. <laughs> yeah, that's usually what it is. If I'm coming, I'm going to be at least 10 minutes late. So just, just know that it, uh, a Mulcahy will just pop up in the box next time. Yeah. It was good timing, too. It was right on cue. <laughs> All right. There we go. So I like work in television. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks um, a lot, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank, I'm going to head you, out and uh, let me know about the next one. Uh, this is a good group. I had a lot of fun. We're here every week. Okay. Well, perfect. <laughs> uh, thanks, Evan, Chris. why don't you Evan, why don't you tell us what you got cooking on the website? I think it's just been a minute since we talked about CarolinaWeatherGroup.com. You're muted, I think. No. He's speechless. Can anybody else hear him? No. Nope. No, I'm good now. I was stuck on the uh, screen. Okay. It's not like 
Every time I clicked unmute, it was just typing M's on Twitter. Um, Maybe we can just close captioning if that helps. <laughs> Lip readers, we get one in here. So the website, yeah, it's it's been a few minutes since I've um, spent some quality time on there. But we did put a lot of work into it in March and April. Uh, we're, we're revamping it. We've got a blog started up. We have um, a current conditions page that was built and looked really pretty, and then it broke, and now I need to go fix it again. Um, so no one needs to know that. Soon. You can just tell them it's great. Just right. tell them it's, it's great. great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then we also have the Blue Ridge Parkway closure map, uh, which is a Yeah, talk about blue. that again in case people missed our interview about it. What is this all about? Sure. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a, we don't need it as much this time of year, but come fall. This is the time of year. I might still go and check out the Blue Ridge. It's still pretty. Right. Well, we get closures on the Blue Ridge Parkway in fall, winter, and early spring. Right now it's mostly open except for Virginia. We're not sure what they're doing up there. Um, But for for right now, come fall, when these closures really start to return and start hitting hard, you can come to this webpage and check it for road closures all along the Bridge Parkway. It'll have um, which sections are closed will be highlighted in red. We've got a, a little uh, highlight section, I guess you can call it, in the bottom right of some of the, the best spots to visit. Craggy Gardens, Mountain uh Peaks of Otter, I believe, is up in Virginia. Some of those are listed. If it's green, it's open. If it's not green, it's not open. Um, it, it's real simple and easy to read. So I think they're kind of useful. I've used it a good number of times when I go snow chasing. CarolinaWeatherGroup.com also have a state park map. So to th- up there or anyplace else, you can actually plan your outdoor adventure day. I guess it was not too hot of a day to go hiking out towards Fayetteville today. Click on, it. Click on one of those red dots and see what happens. Okay. On air, oh, live, hey. see if it works. It works. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, so this is a, a hiking conditions map, and this is something that will be fleshed out a bit more in coming months um, with some more details to come on that later. Um, but it basically shows all the state parks in North and South Carolina. If it's a good weather day, it'll be green, and it'll say, go on a hike. If it's a bad weather day, it'll be red, and that state park, will uh, we recommend you don't go visit it. If it's a lightning, which is totally a verb now, um, or, or it's rainy, I've got a bunch of different words built into this, this script to, for it to register and to recognize bad weather and report it as a bad day to go hiking. Um, so lots of green across South Carolina. It can be a little bit tricky at nighttime. Best to check it after 10 a.m. in the morning. Very cool. That is stuff on carolinaweathergroup.com. Now, those graphics you got there uh, talking about the forecast remind me a little bit of Carolina Weather Net. And for those of you who are not familiar, we do have a nonstop free open to the public all things carolina weather feed stream channel extravaganza you can find it anytime on our youtube so if you are not subscribed to us on youtube here it comes hit the bell hit the subscribe hit the like all those things that you do on youtube so that you can be notified uh, when we go live for severe weather coverage but also every day for the carolina weather net which brings you the best of the Carolina Weather Group alongside real-time warnings and cameras and conditions and forecasts. And so we want to make sure that everyone knows that that is available on our YouTube. Uh, I don't have our YouTube up on the screen, but you'll have to take my word for it. Um, But I would actually love to show folks real briefly 
what this looks like um, because I'll tell you that I like to watch it not so much on my phone or my computer, which I can, of course, do, but I like to put it on my TV using the YouTube app on Roku. And then you've got you got this, uh, whether you're working from home or, or hanging out on the couch, right? There's my ugly face. That I didn't do intentionally, but you can see how some of the real-time conditions sure are cycling through there. I know. I love my face. Isn't it great? Uh, let's find somebody else's face. Uh, there's another face. And another face. So you can see we've got we've got shows that come on in through here, and uh, you can watch them. We've got your local forecast at twenty five and fifty five past every hour, and it's it's really intended for you to just put it on, leave it on while you're cleaning or hanging out or doing work. Uh, and on days like Monday and Tuesday, when there are warnings happening, there's a big red shiny ticker. That will come on the air, letting you know about the warnings. And then eventually, if it gets upgraded to a tornado warning and then we feel like it's a life-threatening, newsworthy situation, you'll see our ugly faces coming on to tell you about live weather. So you can, again, just leave it on, let it run, and uh, we'll take it from there. We, we, we normally like doing severe weather coverage. That, that's one thing I would like to address because if you were watching, and we all do have full-time jobs. So uh, at sometimes during the day, especially you know, during the afternoon hours, uh, it's hard for some of us to break away if it's uh, if, if severe weather is ongoing. And uh, we're very appreciative of Evan and Frank, I believe, was on on air Monday yep. uh, covering the event. So uh, if we're not streaming, you can definitely watch the Carolina Weather Net and you'll see radar running. And I guarantee at least one of us will be tweeting or retweeting stuff, too, on our social media pages. So we'll get it covered one way or the other. But uh, sometimes... We all do this for free. It's all volunteer work. So uh, we have our, our regular jobs to attend to as well. So uh, we love to get on and, and live stream as much as possible. Sometimes it just can't happen. That is one of the other purposes of Carolina WeatherNet. It is it is, has some automation f for you and for us. Uh, because just like Brad was talking about earlier in the show, it takes you a moment to get to the microphone. Uh, and so the uh, the technology will help with that. Uh, we, we, we You're right, Scotty. We, we don't get paid. We we don't get paid to be here. We love just geeking out and we think it's a privilege to geek out with you all and uh, to be able to bring you important uh, severe weather bullets. But if you've got a few bucks and here it comes, you got a few bucks to spare and you want to keep the show running because it does cost money to run the Carolina weather net and to bring in all those data feeds and to, um, you know, keep lights on patreon.com slash Carolina weather group. Uh, that is how you can give us uh, your most uh, loyal support and converse with us directly, get early access to episodes, obviously not live episodes like tonight because I would need a DeLorean or a time machine of some sort in order to get that to you ahead of time. But when we have pre-produced episodes like with James Spann or Jim Cantori, they're going to our patrons first at patreon.com slash Carolina Weather Group. It's just a few bucks. You get early access. You become a supporting member of the show. We love you the most. All of those most important things uh, that we want to say. And to those of you who have already started to support the show on Patreon, thank you. If you don't have a few bucks or don't wish to uh, participate in Patreon right now, that's okay. We would just ask that uh, maybe you 
download and subscribe to our podcast or subscribe to us on YouTube because those are two platforms that we do get some third-party monetization from. And so that is a way without costing you any money uh, to help us grow business and as a group. So find us wherever you listen to your podcast or check us out on YouTube. If you're watching on Facebook, that's cool. Glad you're here. Facebook does nothing to help us. So that's why we're often trying to push you onto other platforms. While you're, while you're subscribing on YouTube and on the podcast form, we'd love uh, your uh, rating as well. You know, that's something we've not really pushed as well. Give us, give us a rating. Uh, you can also tell us what you like and what you don't like and maybe some suggestions of topics yeah. or guests or whatever else you'd like to talk about. Maybe more of these open mic nights uh, because we – we all like to geek out and talk about weather. So, we just uh, had we're that doing this for you. Somebody <laughs> just commented during a recent stream, and I, we've added it to the list of shows we're going to look into. And I'm trying to find the message now, but it was the tornado outbreak of March of 2010. Somebody mentioned it during a stream. We didn't have something for me to shamelessly plug from the arrive. And so we put it on the list for things to look into. I guarantee you this time next year, we're going to be doing a, a show about the 1989 tornado outbreak that happened in the Carolinas because yeah. uh, pretty big deal. F4 tornadoes in North Carolina. That's, that's a biggie. So that's crazy. Uh, Jordan, how are things with you, my friend? Going well, enjoying the show. We have that's a good. little... We have a little tease for Jordan. We're going to be talking to him about a new product he, he's he's come up with. Oh, I think he's, he's frozen. frozen. Oh, there, there he is. is. <laughs> I'm back. Yeah, I'm Jordan, back. you have a new product to tease us with. Oh yeah, a uh, wet bulb globe temperature climatology. Um, yeah, that's up on uh, CERT.com. So go check it out. It's really cool. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, we are weather nerds, just like all of you watching. And so we do appreciate you watching and spreading the word. Guys, anything else we want to get in on tonight's open mic night? I want to mention one more thing. Uh, this is something we've been talking about internally. Uh, we're going to continue producing these long form um, podcasts, but I do believe uh, we're going to start doing some more short version podcasts um, where yeah. some of us uh, have some interest. And uh, so be looking on, on the lookout for that over the summertime. Uh, I think Evan's going to be doing some stuff with his uh, GIS map making and uh, we'll do an interview with Jordan. And, and uh, these are going to be more like your short shows Your what is it? What is it you call it? Uh, James, I feel like you have a, a wordy and you always tell us like a, just a little sound bite, like a 10 minute show oh, about um, a certain thing. What is that word you always tell me. me? I know because you're asking me. I can't, <laughs> I can't they're, remember. They're bite right size snackables. They're snackables. Yeah, snackables. That's it. So we're going to be doing more snackables for you all. So uh, be on the lookout for that as well. That's what I was trying to do yesterday when I circled the wrong rotation on the radar and uploaded it to YouTube. Um, Evan, what, what type of cool GIS things are we going to do? Like Evan's favorite, like fried chicken places or? Yes. Yes. So we have to do something with Waffle House. That's just, we, we owe it to Waffle House. We owe it to ourselves to get on in there and to do something fun with it. I'm sure we'll do something 3d. I like 3d stuff. Um, something with tornadoes. I've been on that kick recently. Never know. I like to shake it up. I can never stick to one project longer than two weeks. So I may lose focus and move to another one. You never know. I went to Waffle House on Saturday. It's it's uh, all green here in North Carolina. Full oh, menu. Oh, goodness. Full menu. Yeah. We're, we're, I haven't. I want to see like 
I want to see like the raised, you know, all, all the, you know, top, topographically, strategically placed Waffle Houses in your map. Listen, right? that, that map, I can literally exactly what you're describing, I posted on, I believe it was Barstool. If you're familiar with Barstool, it's the uh, social platform for college students to be idiot college students. Um, and adults that still want to be college students to reminisce on their idiot college days. Um, and that got a, a 3D map of all the Waffle Houses in the U.S. got posted on there. And I was kicking myself. Come on. Fish, you could have thought of that. I, I could have been me posting it, but it's all right. Barstool beat me to Do it. Do people call you Fish? Yeah, my nickname is Fish. We've never discussed that on here. We've never discussed well, that. Well, then, there we go. Nice to meet you all. Okay. I've While we're doing this, I, I want to shamelessly plug Jared Smith and his TikToks and his weather TikToks. You need to find that. Has he gone TikTok? Well, yeah. what, are you, well, what is his handle? What, what's, uh, I haven't seen this yet. It's a, it's a, <clears throat> a standard Jared W. Smith. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to fuse uh, your attempt at uh, interpreting what Gen Z is trying to do uh, with the weather message of the day, uh, whether it be, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, just a, a plea to just not use the NAM three kilometer for really anything useful. Um, these days, it feels like there's lots of, uh, this, you know, and there's some weird stuff too, but, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this well, it's is gotta me, be weird. Uh, it's on TikTok. It's gotta be weird. I mean, yeah, gotta, it has hey. to be weird. Yeah. And you know, you know, Nam's like, Hey, you want me? And it's like, yeah, PDS tour. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that, bro. So, you know, so, you know, it's, it, it's fun. You know, it, again, it, it goes back to reaching people where they are. And, you know, that's a, that's a big part of weather communication, just in general. That's a big part of, you know, just, and, and of what we do. And, and that's hard because it's, it, it just feels like you're constantly moving from one app to the next to the next. And like, there's so many apps that, that, that are out there that I just, you know, we don't even, you know, try to do. Um, but, you know, TikTok lends itself very well to, um, you know, to, you know, a little bit of humor, just keeping it light, keeping it happy. Um, and so, yeah, follow me there. If you, if that's, uh, if that's your thing, and if that's not your thing, then, um, you know, you're probably more mature than I am. So admit a drinking game. Every time <laughs> I said, like, and subscribe. Listen, yeah. I, I want to tell you, Jared, I, I, I love yours. And so I, I love TikTok. And so I, I'm, you know, TikTok like any other app has algorithms and the more videos you like, the more of that content that you see. So I finally have found the weather content and my gosh, these people in Alabama love James Spin on TikTok. You just get these little, like we got a couple weeks ago interview and you get these 10 little, 10 second little bits of, of these crazy things that he talks about. And then it just shows these people in Alabama like, yeah, I know where that's at. Like, so it, it shows you uh, just the communication part and, uh, if you, if you ever stumble upon the James Spann TikToks, they're they're definitely worth uh, worth the look. So I remember he opened one last week, or you know there was a, a they've had some severe weather in Alabama, and he opened it up with, "All right, we're on the talk," and it's just like, "Oh, I wish I'd come up with that." It's just it, 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 legend. That's I mean that's yes. just, yeah, that that's that's all there is to say. But uh, no, it's um. There's a lot of really good uh, weather talk out there. You know, Brad, Chris Mulcahy, they're both on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Mulcahy is pretty both funny, on the TikTok? actually. They are both on the TikTok. Yes. Yes. They're both on the talk. The TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Panovich, uh, Panovich is, is on there. He said the middle school kids inspired him to do it. So, yeah. 
Okay, he's I'm gonna, have to, I'm, gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get on TikTok, maybe wear some blue blockers or something, you know, and just uh go at it, go at some forecasts, see what happens. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's you can just have fun on it. That's what it's all about. Listen, it's addicting. It, it can be we got addictive. two minutes left. I want to hear from Frank Strait. Are you on the TikTok, Frank? No, no. I, that's one thing that I don't use is TikTok. <laughs> I use uh, I use just about everything else, I think, but not TikTok. All right. Well, does that wrap us for this live open mic night as we've now crossed into OT? Uh, we appreciate everyone I mean, coming to yeah hang out i mean we're Go live ahead. i mean the last thing is that like we've got a pretty nice weekend ahead i think yeah. we should know Mother's Day looks very nice here along coastal south carolina yeah here. I mean, maybe a, a small chance of a shot isolated shower too at night but you probably later on so it looks like the day like low to mid 80s and sunny and it's just gonna be a beautiful weekend i think for the most part yeah give it give it give it for this we could see 30s in north carolina on saturday morning low temperatures yes. in the 30s hey. If you really, if you really pull the mountain, you go up to Mount Mitchell on the Parkway. You might get squeezed out of snowflake uh, sometime <laughs> in forty-eight hours. So it's okay. I GoPro, GoPro, or it didn't happen. GoPro, or it didn't happen. I will tell yeah. my boss that on Friday so I can get off and go chasing. Better you shot into Grandfather Mountain, though. Yeah. Need, need <laughs> you to make that ten-mile hike up there and make sure for us dodge some of those cougars up there. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's my duty, my obligation. I think I will. <laughs> and the tree pollen is finally winding down. Thank so, God. Thank God. Yes, about time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so think that, that will be my closing thought. This rain that we got the last couple of times, yeah, I'm so over this pollen. It seems, I don't know, it seems like it was worse this year than it has in previous years. I don't know if there's any validity to that, but. Well, I mean, if you think about April, if you think about what April was like, you know, I can speak for us down in Charleston. We had one day of measurable rain in April and that was enough measurable rain to put us, you know, like maybe 15th driest. I mean, it was a very, very wet day. We got it. We got it all at one time, yeah. um, but there was just no relief at all. It's like in, 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 and, and like we said, like, that's a little concerning when it comes to thinking about, hey, you know, we're getting into May, we're getting into June. If it's going to be like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that drought, that drought is sneaking up uh, in a lot of places. Yeah, it's true, too. Come on. I was trying to end on a positive note. Sorry. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful weekend. It's it's beautiful. Beautiful. Happy Mother's Day. Day. Oh, yeah. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, yes. it's early. Yeah. This year. yeah, Amazon Prime. Like now, you're gonna run out of time, Jared. That's no, it's fine. Yeah, she, she's we got her covered. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to everybody watching and listening to this week's Carolina Weather Group. Let's roll the credits and featuring those Patreon supporters. We'll see you back here again real soon.